Okay, we're in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. Well, you know, I was thinking today, I, I do a lot of thinking, and I chase a lot of rabbits as I'm preparing for my message, and uh, I, I looked out my bedroom window, and I, I got these tomato plants I've been uh, planted from seed, and uh, I'm, I'm watching them grow, and and they're, they're about, oh, I don't know, six foot tall right now, and they're right outside my window, and I'm, I'm thinking it ain't going to be long before I'm going to be able to reach out my window and pick a tomato. Uh, and then I, then I think about, uh, as ministers of the gospel, uh, that we, we plant seeds and, and we water it. Uh, God's in charge of the growing, and it's the miracle from that seed uh, from something that looks completely dead, and then there's a birth and there's a new life. And just as believers, that when we heard the word, or it gets watered, that we, we come to life. And we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of the Lord, you know. Uh, I just feel so blessed uh, knowing that, how much the love of the Father has for us all. And I was thinking uh, also, I just want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in and coming to New Harvest Ministries, NEO. And, you know, oftentimes there's a, a mission statement. And, and our, our, our purpose is to preach the gospel to a lost and fallen world. To give them the truth of God's word. To expound on it one word and one verse at a time. For the world can hear it. The light is shining. The darkness is passing away. You know, and with that, all other things come. We'll have a, you'll have a joy in your life, beloved, that passes all understanding. Things will no, no longer get you down, or things will no longer trouble you. We're in First John, and it tells us in the book, remember, it's a constant theme that follows through. It's the assurance of our salvation. We're far from perfect, and to love one another. You know, we'll be focusing on the loving one another part this evening. And, uh, and, and there's another thing, too, with that. Uh, the providence of God and, and, and God's sovereignty. That we have a sovereign God who's in complete control. We were reading in Bible study this morning about a young king, eight years old, come from the line of David, his grandfather was probably one of the worst kings, one of the most evilest and worst kings ever. Now God's word had been taken out of the kingdom. He was only eight years old. There was an order to rebuild the temple. God's word was found, and it was read. And he, as a young king at that time, he repented. He tore his cloths on his robe. He heard the truth of God's word. The power of God's word. No matter how much they try to, to suppress the truth of God's word. No matter how much they try to change the truth of God's word. You cannot do it because it's the providence of God at that time. His word will come out and it will shine. And it did back then and it will do it today. You know, and just to think of the providence of God and his sovereignty. That our God is capable of doing that. See, that's what, that's what real preachers that expound on God's word are telling, that expound on and tell the truth. I don't have no fancy words for you. I have no gimmicks. I have no, uh, nothing to show you, no jokes for you tonight. 
All I have is the sincerity of God's word. I may stutter, I may stumble, but I'm determined to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. You know, 1 John starts off and he tells us right from the very beginning, right out of the gate, little children, you young believers that come to know the Lord, don't be getting carried away by false, false ideologies and thought processes that these Judaizers, that these agnostics, that these other people are trying to convey to you and bring, bring pain into your life. This is what he's telling you. He's given us the assurance there's no, there's no light and more light and further light. There's only one light and it's Jesus Christ and you've accepted. Who's bewitched you, you silly people? I came, I gave you the gospel, you were saved through the Holy Spirit. It hasn't changed one bit. Why not? Don't listen to these people bringing you down. And then he clarifies in his word who the little children are. It's the young believers. Who the young men are. Because they... they, they They've hungered. They've thirst for the Word. They're paying attention. They know God's Word. They can't be fooled. They can't be bamboozled. Then there's the fathers, the ones that grow up in the Word and they want to preach and teach the, of God's Word to expound on it right and properly. He, he gives us this metaphor of young men and, and, and uh, children and young men that he uses throughout the book. And he tells us, and he tells us, because he tells us not to sin, to follow God's law. He says, but if you sin, confess your sins, and He surely will forgive us. That's the assurance of our salvation. He's not going to take it from it. We have an advocate with the Father, the propitiation for our sins. He came, He traded places for us. And they're very accurately described. The apostles said, we've seen Jesus. We've seen God incarnate be born. He lived sinless. He did these miracles. We touched him. We seen him. We seen the miracles. We tasted the miracles. He was not a spirit and an illusion. He was the real God who manifested himself in the form of his creation, who lived a sinless life, who died for you if you believe. Amen. That's the gospel. That's it. It doesn't change. We're going to keep preaching it week after week after week. We're going to say it different ways, but we're going to keep saying the same thing because we don't want you getting carried away by some false ideology or false thought process that in 1 John it describes us as the Antichrist. Remember? They went out from us because they were not of us. Because they rejected Christ. They came to the full knowledge, the full revelation who Jesus is, and they rejected him. They says, I love my sin more than I love my God. And they, and they turned their back on Christ. They went out from us because they were never of us. It wasn't that they had their salvation and they lost it. It's a continual theme that we, hear, we, we have in this book. The Apostle letter speaks of authoritatively about the truth of the incarnation, a message John's doubting readers needed after hearing false teachers deny the full divinity and humanity of Christ. It reaffirms, reaffirms the core of Christianity, saying that either we exhibit the sound doctrine, obedience, and love that characterizes all Christians, or else we are not true Christians. When all the basics of faith are in operation, we not only know joy, but can live a holy life and be assured of salvation. Chapter 3, verse 19 to 24. We'll be covering that this evening. Even though we are still far from perfect, 
The assurance, verse 1 9 tells us that, the assurance comes especially at, as we find ourselves learning to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. This general letter to the congregation across Asia Minor, now Turkey, was probably written by the Apostle John in the late 1st century A.D. Remember, to be assured of our salvation that this book gives us, we're far from perfect, and to love one another. And, and how is this command? We're going to talk about this command that he gives us. It's not a new command. It's an old command, but it's new. And that brings me to another point, another rabbit. i got to chase one more rabbit, you know. There's a talk about the, uh, the, the book of Revelations is coming up. We're going to have this conference. And, now, and you know, I've, I've always believed this because I, I've listened to sound doctrine that theologians have preached. I don't know how sound it is because they always say is that, well, the rapture is going to happen, which is not written in the Bible, but the rapture is going to be happening. I'm going to be taken up. And there's going to be this seven-year period of the, all these trials and tribulations. And, and we're not at this point because this is how we believe. Because this guy told me that's how we believe. And, you know, and I've, I've thought about that. It's like, okay. And then, but we're going to be taken up. You know, but we're going to go three and a half years into it. And then, then I guess for the next three and a half years, God totally pulls back his Holy Spirit. And we know that what God does is he pulls back his prophets, the people that preach, that restrain God's word from his people. Well, you know, that's a kind of a gloomy outlook. You know, I, I had one tomato plant die. I was so distraught by it. That one tomato plant died. I have all these other tomato plants, and it's, it's really depressing to me. You know, and sometimes, and I, I read that, and, and, I, and I have to believe what God's word says. Not my theology, or not what John thinks, but what does God's word actually say? That's what all what I have. That's what overrules anything. Is what does the authoritative word of God say to me? So that at this point, then I have to ask myself: Is this is what they're reading into it, and this is what they're telling me? Is this the truth of it, or what about this? I was reading in First John today. Remarkable. I'm reading in First John. What's it say? It talks right about the new commandment. It says at the same time. It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light is already shining, my brothers and sisters. I believe the authoritative word of God. Now, this is not a sandbox issue. This does not put you in or out of it, how you believe. But my attitude from this day forward is the light is shining, the darkness is passing away, and we're winning this battle. And what's going to win the battle? It's going to be proclaiming the truth of God's word to all that can hear because the darkness can't hate it. They, they, they can't handle it. They cannot handle the truth. That's why they'll shut it off or they'll pervert it or they'll try to change it. They can't handle it. And guess what? They'll hate you, but they don't hate you. They hate Jesus is what he tells us. Understand, we're in the, if you're a Christian and you can speak the truth of God's word, we are winning the battle. If you tell me, John, listen, we're getting our butts kicked, you know, we got three and a half years of agony and pain and it's, it's just going to be terrible. And, and, and we're just sitting around waiting for, oh, Jesus, come, come bring me up in the rapture. You know, 
are, are we going to stand? We're going to stand up here like, like warriors in the truth of God's word and proclaim his truth. Do you want to lay down and put your pillow over your head at home? Or do you want to get out and be a voice for the Lord? Amen. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You believe in him. You surrender to him and you believe. You confess your sins and he will enter upon you. He will give the Holy Spirit, will come upon you. And you will be able to do things. You'll be able to overcome sins, adversities, false ideologies, false, false thought processes. And you'll be able to begin to claim, to claim the truth to people, that people can hear the truth. That's what we need to do as Christians. We've been ordained by God. I've been ordained, I'm an ordained minister through, by God himself for Jesus Christ to proclaim the truth. And there's other people who's ordained, by the way. In Romans 13, there's one other person that's ordained. And that's the minister, that is the ministers to take care of evildoers. That's the ones that have thrown the, sworn an oath to the constant of this country to protect it for God, country, and family to protect it. They have the sword, the sword and the instrument of death to take out evildoers. That's for the just war that we call. We're in a just war. I'm not an ordained minister to, to go out and fight this war. I'm not a police officer. I'm not in the army. My battle is here in the pulpit proclaiming the truth of his word. But for you out there who've sworn this oath to God and country, you have the authority and the right to stand up and do what's right in this country. And it gives you the authority and the power. I heard, I heard that the coroner can arrest the, the county sheriff because he has authority over him. Because if you're an evildoer or a lawbreaker, you need to be brought to justice. We don't have to wait around with our heads in the sand. I'm up here standing. All I got, or not, I shouldn't say all I got. I got the Holy Spirit. I got the words of God proclaiming the truth to you that gives you authority. And the day when I come to stand before my Lord, it's, 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 I'm going to say I didn't do enough. But I know I got it right. I know I got it right today. By overcoming the adversities of, first off, my fallen nature. I was born broken and fallen. And it says, what, what we've preached to you in the beginning, what we've said in the beginning, the beginning of what? What, what is that beginning? What is the beginning? Starts off, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. This is how 1 John starts off, right? Now, I said it on the first message. What is this beginning? Is it, we go to John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being. He was the light and life of the world, but the darkness could not overcome. Because the light had been introduced into the world. He's been here. The darkness is passing away. The light is shining. It's so bright, the neighbors might need to get some blinds. But that's another issue. I'm sorry, God. So, I'm ADHD. Sometimes I move around a lot. Uh, so, so, this, from the beginning, is it, is it that in the beginning? Or 
Was it from the beginning of your salvation? From the point of your conversion, from when you first came to believe? See, and I, I believe that's what it's telling me here. It's, it's the message from the beginning. And this message hasn't changed from when I was a, a little baby, a children, to a young man, to an adult, it doesn't change. It's the same message. And that message, you know, oftentimes, we can even say the same message that you heard from the beginning, what, that, that God loved me before I loved him? Amen. That God loved me before I loved him. That I was dead in my trespasses. That I needed to be reborn again. That our Savior came from the beginning. And it, he, but he, he goes on. But the, them are all truths that I'm saying. But what this says is to love one another. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now let's, let's look at this Cain guy. Uh, by the way, the first verses, verses 1 through 17, will emphasize on uh, people that, uh, that don't show love. Because if you don't love your brother and show this love, then you're not one of his. So it gives us examples of how people that don't love their brother. And it pulls up Cain as this. Well, something about Cain is, remember, Cain gave an offering to God. Cain believed in God. Is, is Cain like one of these people that are going to knock on that door and he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity? Because, remember, the ones that knock on that door and, and tell Jesus that they did all these things, I gave you my offering. He actually offered up a sacrifice. Jealousy was behind his, his hate and murder. The same, same of the religious leaders that uh, found Christ guilty and condemned him. Jealousy and a hate. You know, there's, it tells us three characteristics of the children of the devil. Lack of love, murder, the ultimate expression of hate. Hate is the seed that leads to murder. Cain had this. He was the children of the devil. He was unable to love the way God wants us to love. The way a regenerated soul should love. He gives us as an example. Who was of the, of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? I'll tell you why. It says right here. Because his own deeds were evil. And his brother's righteous, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
the world hates you, but he tells us that the world doesn't necessarily hate you. He hates Jesus. He hates the righteousness. I, I, I think in our fallen nature, and just our nature of us, it's kind of a little bit off topic, but I sure do feel good when I'm able to get up in the morning, go to work, provide for my family, continue to walk in the Spirit, study God's Word, share His Word, uh, righteous behavior, practicing righteousness, practice. I'm far from perfect. I'm, 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 I fall short of the glory of God. But I practice righteousness. And I'm, I'm not going to walk around beating up other people. So then there's the other person, maybe that they receive things. They're capable of getting up and going to work. But they, they choose to take an easier path. And they take whatever they can get. But they don't feel good in the morning when they wake up, see? It demeans them. And, and they probably are jealous and have a hatred towards the guy that's doing well. Well, get up in the morning. Go to work. I just think that's kind of in our nature. And, and I see here where it come right down to when we, we, we see that, that Cain, the hatred that he had was of the righteousness of his brother because he was not doing what was right. He was not doing what was pleasing to God. Uh, when we give a, a sacrifice to God or we give a tithe to God or we do something, we do it with joy and love in our heart. Was he doing it like with, I can't believe I got to give him something. He has everything, you know. I, I, I don't know. But it gives us an example of not loving one. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Well, you know, this is, a, this is kind of a tough topic to talk about. First off, uh, just like, uh, I'll tell you, just like I could not stop uh, my sins in my life. I was incapable. They brought me further down the road and I, I ever wanted to go and they wouldn't let me go. And I had to have the Holy Spirit. I had to cry out, have the Holy Spirit come and help me. Today I can restrain from them things. I can practice righteousness. The same way I'm going to need the Holy Spirit if I'm going to lay down my life for my brother. I, I just don't have, my flesh is not capable right now of doing it. Uh, I, I think I, I pray at that time, if something were to come about, uh, I, I pray for the Holy Spirit to, to be able to help me with that. Because uh, whatever, because uh, uh, death is a horrible thing. I, I, I don't want to be the instrument of death. I want to be the instrument of life and love and truth. Uh, but there come a time where he uses this as an example. So let's just take it a little bit further. That uh, it's about a, and, and let. By the way, let's 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 see. You know, 
we can't enable people to continue in their sin. And God doesn't enable us to continue in our sin. He allows the clown to finish his act. You go out and you go and do what you want to do. And when you get ready, you holler out to the Lord. But you, you're on your own. We're talking about, say, a widow. When it refers to the widow of the church. The, the widow of the church, the body of Christ... She's lived her, her life, she's, she's a godly woman, her family's contributed, now she has no one to take care of her. We are obligated to take care of that widow of that church. We're obligated to. Now, if she has family and children, uh, and they don't, woe to them, the word says. Amen. So in the same context, we, we have to make sure that we... Give a hand up, not a hand out, but we're obligated to take care of widows and orphans as family, as your own family. That they'll sit at the same table and have the same pleasures of life that you have. And then we're, we're reaching out to a fallen world and of broken people. And we cannot enable them to continue in their sin, but we give them, we, we look for their needs and we try to help them. Now, this is what assures of our, of our salvation because this is another assurance of our salvation. This either convicts you or condemns you. If you're, feeling, if you're saved and you're feeling condemned, that's the devil telling you a lie in your ear. If you're feeling convicted like I do because you could never outgive God, you could never do enough, I read this and thinking I'm not doing enough. I'm just not doing enough. Then I started thinking about the things I'm doing. I'm thinking, well, and I don't want to go over that because it's not about that. I'm thinking, but, but I am doing some things. I, I'm making a, help making a difference in other people's lives. And, uh, and I thank God for that. I wasn't able to do that before. So that assures me that, that, that I have this light inside of me. And what a beautiful feeling it is to get joy in watching somebody else succeed, uh, especially people that are broken and hurting, to watch them succeed, to be able to turn their life around. What a joy it is. Then there's, then there's the, say, the saints of the church. Say there's a, uh, a woman who needs something done at her house, and, and you go to the home, and she needs it fixed, and you go and, and fix it. But it's just not fixing that need. You're attentive to her needs because you listen to what she's saying. And she may say something like this, I don't want to be a burden to my family. You know, she says, I, I don't want to be a burden. Well, what, what does it tell me? Oh, no, no. You, you, we, we, we're attentive to that. We hear that. We say, oh, no. You're, you're an example of a godly woman. You've been a beautiful caretaker. I've watched you take care of your family members. I've watched you be a, a mother, a wife, a grandmother. You're a beautiful soul, and you should never feel that way. And uh, she says, well, I, I said, well, you, are you still praying? She says, well, all the time. I says, well, there you go. And you're still an example for other women in the church. See, I was attentive to that need because she, she said something that she had a pain. And so being a Christian, automatically, I was able to assess that. And we can do that. And we need to do that. It wasn't just about fixing something. It was about ministering to her heart, lifting her up, 
giving her encouraging words of love and support. And, and we need to do that with everybody, from the young to the old. If we're in his word, we'll be attentive to others' needs. See, this should assure you. Now, which is a lot easier for me than, like, I got to go run out there and give my life for you. You know, it's like, oh, that's a tough one. He set the bar. You know, Jesus always sets the bar so high. You know, he just sets it up there to just so high. And, uh, and I'm glad. I'm glad he does because that gives me, that gives me humility and that gives me this standard. And I know then it convicts me to do more. And I'm excited to do more, and it makes me feel good inside. Uh, so, verse 19 to 24 begins to talk to us about the love that, that comes out of us as believers. It gives us that assurance. As a matter of fact, verse 19, this is the one that I've been quoting to you, that there's a common theme that's carried through this book of 1 John and to love one another. And here it is, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, I just explained the struggle that I had when I, when I began to read this of am I feeling condemned? Am I feeling convicted? And as Paul tells us, we need to continually analyze ourselves and, and look at ourselves. And I could have went down that road and started condemning myself, but I had to start thinking about what, well, what do I do? What don't I do? And then I just feel convicted. Then I have a reassurance that I have the Spirit in me. And what a wonderful, beautiful feeling that is to have, beloved. And, and I hope you can have it too. Do you realize that my life, when I condemn myself continually, and here's what condemning myself did for me. It allowed me to continue to be in my sin because I kept telling myself what a bad person I was. But the day I accepted Christ into my heart and that for forgiveness, I knew I had been forgiven. My sins are thrown as far as the east to the west. They're forgotten. I'm forgiven. And it's like, what a weight off my shoulders. And then on top of it, he gave me the Holy Spirit. We're going to read in uh, 1 John 4, 4, that power that he put in you is greater than the power in all the world that he puts inside his believers to accomplish this and reassures them. What a beautiful thing. This is what our God does. This is the message from the beginning of God's love. God's love is so great. His mercy is so great. His grace is so great. From just an infinite God to a finite creature for me to just continue to go through his word and for he allows me to know him. And he allows me to share his word with you for you can know him. How beautiful are the feet of the preacher, the one that shares the accurate word of God. How beautiful are their feet. And it talks about by sharing it accurately and rightly, we may be persecuted. But that's okay. 
To die is gain and to live is for Jesus. As long as a believer is living, he lives for Jesus. And when he dies, it's gain. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. You know, we sing that song, this life is not my home. And, you know, I had a beautiful thought. And, you know, because of that whole revelation thing and this whole brutal thing. And who's to say are an all-powerful uh, all-knowing God could not come to this world. And it talks about in Second Peter how this whole world is just going to be incinerated and burned up. And who's to say that our God can't come down here and speak it into existence and say all the depravity, all the sin, all the brokenness of this world. Because remember, he cursed the earth, he cursed us, he cursed the planet for the sin that he can't take all that right here on this earth and throw that into the infernity. And this, this world it becomes our home again. It becomes perfect the way God intended to make it. Who knows? I don't know. That's the next book. But we, we, can, we can have dreams and hopes like that. But regardless if it's this one or a new one or wherever it's going to be, when I'm in the presence of my God and I can stand before him holy and righteous... As broken, he's allowed to do that. What a beautiful day that will be. So let's just get up off the couch, get into the Word, proclaim the truth. No one's perfect. We're not going to get it right all the time. You're assured of your salvation. And love your brothers and sisters. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God. Oh, thank you for the Holy Spirit to just move my heart with uh, so much love and compassion. I, I thank you, God. I was unable to do that. Father, I pray that your words that were spoken here, that you can give people a heart to know and ears to hear and eyes to see, that they can feel this, this love, Father, that you have to offer, this love that is so great that you've given us that we can begin to love other people the way you loved us. Lord, it's not contingent upon what others do for us. All that matters is what you did for us, and we should be able to love others as Christ loved us. In husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved us. As Christ loved the church, we are to love our wives. It is not contingent upon our relationships with other people on what they do for us. Our focus as believers, as being saved, knowing the love of Christ, to show that love. To show that love. To say a prayer. You're in a position, you're an adult, you're a grown person to say a prayer. Maybe you're working in a detention home. Maybe you're going to say a prayer over the food and you just look into some young man's eyes and you say a prayer. You share God's love. If we're in law enforcement or a probation officer and you're in a position of authority and we look into somebody's eyes and we speak God's love, we speak the truth of God's love, uh, we can do that. We're allowed to do that. That's what we're supposed to do, to love people. Whoever they are, wherever they are, may we always and continue to love everybody the way God loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.